Good morning, Grace Covenant Church. It is a joy to be with you this morning and to bring to you the word of the Lord. If you would open your Bibles to the 41st Psalm, to the 41st Psalm. As you're flipping there, I just want to draw your attention that this morning we complete book one of one of the five books of the Psalter. So we have been going through this study of one psalm a month for a few years now, and we have come to the point where we have completed, or we will, Lord willing, have completed Psalm 41 this morning and have completed the first book. And as we do that, as we look at Psalm 41 this morning, we need to recall where it all began in Psalm 1. And what we're going to see is that there's going to be correlation between Psalm 1 and Psalm 41. And so as we seek to unpack Psalm 41, we're going to have to go back and understand a few different things from Psalm 1. And as we look at these two different psalms, we're going to see the wisdom literature that we have been studying in the Psalter. Uh, We're going to see that there are going to be two big themes that are coming up. Two big themes that would fall in line with the great commandment that Christ gave. That we would love our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And that we would love our neighbor as ourself. And so this morning, we are going to see how that comes to play in Psalm 1 and Psalm 41 as we complete Psalm 41 this morning. Hear the word of God. Psalm 41 To the choir master, a psalm of David. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me, heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words, while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity. And set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Thus completes the reading of the word of God. As we look at Psalm 41 this morning, you can break it up into three sections. Verses 1 through 3, verses 4 through 10, and verses 11 through 13. And what we're going to see in these three sections, in verses 1 through 3, you can kind of title that the blessed one. And in in verses 4 through 10, you can can title that uh, of grace. 
And then uh, in verses 11 through 13, you can title that, Blessed Be the Lord. And as we are trying to understand Psalm 41, we're going to have to answer a few different questions. As you saw, verses 1 through 3 kind of front load this entire psalm. If you aren't unpacking even the first verse and understanding what it is, you could have trouble and even misapplying the rest of this psalm. So two questions I want you to write down and I want you to think about if you're a note taker. Who is the blessed one? Who is the blessed one? And who is the poor? Those are two questions we have to consider and we have to unpack well in order to understand this psalm. So it begins with, blessed is the one. And that should sound oh, oh, so familiar As we have gone back many a times in our study through the Psalter, we will go back to Psalm 1 right now and we'll read how Psalm 1 begins. Remember, Psalm 1 and Psalm 41 are going to be connected. Psalm 1 said, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. We see in the very beginning of Psalm 1, of the book of Psalms, this idea that David is trying to impress upon us the importance of not going down the way of sinners and to meditate on the word of God, right? Day and night, we are to be in the word of God. And in doing that, we get a love for God that plants us like a tree by streams of water. This is the outset of the book of Psalms. Be in the word of God. Love God. That is so important for us to understand. And it's important for us to understand how that connects then to how Psalm 41 is going to end. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. So as we understand, or as we look back on Psalm 1, we see that this blessed man is the man who does not walk in the way of sinners and who plants himself firmly and securely in the word of God. This helps us understand what it means to love our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And then Psalm 41 makes an interesting application or a conclusion to this first book as the one who needs to consider the poor. So we'll continue to unpack that as we go on. But blessed is the one who considers the poor. So we need to understand what does it mean to consider, right? The Hebrew means to give attention to, to consider, or to make wise. I think that's an interesting way of unpacking. Blessed is the one who either makes wise the poor or who wisely deals with the poor. See, there's a difference between wisely dealing with the poor and just dealing with the poor. So we are to be considerate We are to consider what does it mean to think about, make wise, love the poor. And again, we're going to continue to unpack this because remember, this is David telling us in a psalm that the whole congregation will sing, blessed is the one who considers the poor. But when we look at the word poor, we have to say, "Well, well, who is the poor? How do we understand who this poor man is. 
And I want to say the first thing we need to understand about the poor is that the Hebrew here doesn't mean the financially burdened. Or at least it doesn't only mean the financially burdened. No, the Hebrew word, doll, what it's trying to help us understand is a person who is helpless, powerless, weak, and needy. So it's kind of like the Beatitudes. When we read Matthew 5, blessed is the poor in spirit, right? We recall that that doesn't just mean the poor person. It means someone who is helpless, weak, needy, powerless. So you can see I'm broadening the understanding of what it means to consider the poor. It's not just someone financially burdened. It can be any single person in this room. But in order that we don't take this out of context, we must go right back into Psalm 40 and see what David does in Psalm 40. David says in verse 17 of Psalm 40, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh, do not delay, oh my God. And then it goes straight into, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. So what's happened here? David has associated himself as the poor. When we read, blessed is the one who considers the poor, we understand, blessed is the one who considers David in the estate in which he was in. So David, inspired by the Spirit, is both recounting his own experience and teaching his people how to deal with those of us who are powerless, broken, needy, and in need of something outside of ourselves that we cannot provide for ourselves. We have to understand this very beginning if we're going to understand the rest of this psalm. So we've answered one question. Who is the poor? Well, it's David. And if we broaden the application of who is the poor, it is all who are helpless, needy, weak, in need of some help. But we're not going to answer blessed, who is the blessed one just yet. We can see that blessed is the one who considers these people. Okay, so verses one through three then is going to give us this kind of wisdom literature style promises. So when we read wisdom literature, we see this as practical application that helps us, right? We, we read and all of us have read in Proverbs, discipline a child in the way that they should go and they should never go away from the Lord, right? And we all know and all have experienced that that's not always the case. Sometimes children wander off. They go into sin. But that doesn't mean that you somehow don't believe in God or that God is not truthful to his promises. But we see in wisdom literature, this is just giving us truth that generally happens. Now there's more to it in verses one through three than that, but it's, it's at least that as we're looking into it. So when we read here, blessed is the one, we see that this blessed one who deals with the poor will actually receive things from the Lord. We see that the Lord will deliver the blessed one in the day of trouble, in the day of judgment, in the day that they need help, the Lord will be there to deliver them. We see that the Lord will protect the blessed one who considers the poor. He will keep him alive. He will call him blessed in the land. He will not give him up to his enemies. The Lord will sustain him and restore him to full health even in, in sickness. 
So three things that I think you can pull from these first three verses that David is trying to help people consider. If you are considerate, if you are thoughtful, if you are trying to make wise the poor, the Lord will deliver, protect, and sustain you. Now again, this is the Old Testament. This is David speaking to his people about this, again, this don't walk down the path of the evil one, walk down the path of the righteous. And the righteous or the blessed will be like this, and this is what they will receive from the Lord. Now, just hang in there. Because what we can do is we can say, oh yeah, if I am just good to poor people, man, I'm good to go. I'm going to be blessed. I'm never going to get sick again. I'm going to be delivered in trouble. I'm going to have all these awesome things. Andrew, you sent that from the pulpit. No, no, no. Hang on. Hang on just a minute, right? The caveat here is that this is wisdom-style promises. You can still get sick. You can still get hurt. You can still die. But the Lord will be with you. Let's listen to Charles Spurgeon, who's always so much better at this than I am. We must not imagine that the benediction pronounced in these three verses belongs to all who casually give money to the poor or leave it in their wills or contribute to societies. Such do well or act from mere custom as the case may be, but they are not here alluded to. The blessing is for those habit it is to love their neighbor as themselves and who for Christ's sake feed the hungry and clothe the naked. To imagine a man to be a saint who does not consider the poor as he has ability is to conceive the fruitless fig tree to be accepted or acceptable. There will be sharp dealing for many professors on this point in the day when the king cometh in his glory. Okay, so Spurgeon helps us to see that this isn't just for those uh, who plant a seed right, who give a little bit of money in order to get some sort of blessing. No, that is the health, wealth, prosperity gospel, which we plainly call out here at this church as heresy. Okay, so stick with me. We're going to get back to verses 1 through 3, but now we're going to move into verses 4 through 10. Verses 4 through 10 is this idea that we have a need for grace, So David, who is associating himself with the poor and is trying to convince the congregation in which this psalm will be read to or sung to, he's trying to help them see these are the blessings in which those who deal with those of us who are helpless and needy and weak. And then he makes this transition. And what you'll see is that verse 4 starts with the call for grace. And verse 10 is going to end with the call for grace. There's an inclusio here, or there is repetition that helps us see that this is important for us to grasp. And so he says, as for me, so he's, he's making a change here. One through three, he's kind of speaking in general platitudes. When he goes to verse four, he's saying, as for me, now it's personal. This is talking about David. As for me, I said, O Lord, all caps, this is the covenantal name of God. O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. 
We are going to see a whole bunch here. David begins with calling to the covenantal God of uh, Israel to be gracious to him. He's asking for God's unmerited favor for him. David asks for God to heal him. And when we see this healing, he says, heal me. The word in the Hebrew doesn't just mean physically. Help me get out of sickness, which certainly David alludes to here in this psalm. But when he's talking about me here, he's actually talking about the inner man is how the Hebrew would be described. Heal me, heal my soul, for I have sinned against you, Lord. Just notice, he's about to unpack all the things that other people are doing to him. But just watch and maybe take a mental note. When you are in sin, the first thing you do is you don't go, yeah, but all of these things happened, and that's why I sinned. All of these things were the circumstances which produced my sin, where David says, oh God, give me unmerited favor, give me grace, heal me, because I sinned against you. What a way to see confession. Not in in front-loading your confession for why you need to do it in the first place. And notice again, too, notice that David is making a confession amidst much suffering. This is for us to hear that even when we are suffering, and as this psalm will continue to unpack, even when we are suffering, even when we have been uh, when someone has betrayed us, even when people are, are wanting for our death we can still sin and we still need to repent. That doesn't just disappear because we're being sinned against or because we're going through tragedy. We are sinful people. We need the grace of Christ all the time. David is confessing that he has sinned and he wants forgiveness. He wants healing to be brought back into favor with the covenantal king or the covenantal God of the people of Israel because he is the covenantal king. David has a desperation in his pleading. Why does he have a desperation in his pleading? Because of his enemies. His enemies here in this um, need for grace is why we see he has such a desperate need for grace. They are excited about his state. They hope he will die and his name will perish. That might just seem like really flowery language for the Psalms, right? Because they kind of have that here and there. But no, this is very specific. They want David's name to perish because David's name was promised never to perish in 2 Samuel 7. David's name was always called upon to say that your kingdom will be eternally established. These people are hating God and that they want the name of David to be struck out. They want him to die so that the promise will die with David. They come in and they see David, their king, and they utter empty platitudes. And then they leave and they conspire with the rest of the people about the coming doom of David. They are excited. They speak amongst themselves, hoping the worst for David. I just, I hope you're taking just little mental notes about how they're talking about David. 
how they're talking about this covenantal king. And they say, I hope that he will never get up from his sickbed and that he will die. And then we get this really interesting statement. And if you've heard me preach through the Psalms, whenever I say, here is a really interesting statement, it's because we're about to make a connection to the better David. We're about to make a connection to Christ. And what we see in this is that David, yes, is experiencing betrayal and treachery of a close friend, of a friend in which he has even spent time at table with, eating. If you're eating with the king at his table, there is a closeness here. And so he's eating with this friend, and this friend who has broken bread with him has lifted his heel against David. David has been betrayed. So just, David is suffering. He's talking about a sickbed earlier. He's talked about the helplessness, the neediness, the brokenness, the weakness of his poor estate. He is talking about the fact that he is lying in bed and people are saying, oh, look, he's got to be ill. He's going to die soon. Sweet. Right? They want this to happen. They're excited about it happening. We see that David is, could be sick physically, but certainly spiritually, David is in a low place. David is asking God to consider his lowly estate. Look at how he encapsulate, encapsulates verses 4 through 10. But you, O Lord, he says it again, be gracious to me. Give me your unmerited favor. Remember your covenant with me. God, give me grace. Give grace to me. He ends this section with the plea for grace again. And this reminds me of the Puritan Samuel Rutherford. Some of you may be in our Puritan studies on Wednesday nights. And uh, I would encourage all of you to come on Wednesday night and be there and, and be a part of this as we dive into these old dead people who are awesome and have good theology and, and help us think through. And they're not perfect. They were a mess, but they still are able to point us to Christ. And this is what Samuel Rutherford says. A man who was ejected from his pastorate because of his beliefs a man who is no stranger to suffering and to weakness and to powerlessness and to neediness. And you know what he says? He said, grace withereth without adversity. Because what happens when we're not calling out for grace is that we think we're okay. We actually think we don't need grace in those moments. We think we're fine. We can keep living this life in a comfortable manner in which nothing really upsets us. Nothing gets after us. We're okay. We're going to be okay. And what Rutherford so keenly points out is that your understanding of grace starts to wither when there is no adversity in your life. David certainly is understanding his desperate need for the grace of God to continue to just give him breath so he doesn't die on his sickbed. When he feels like his enemies are, are seeking to take his life. 
when he feels like his soul needs to be restored because of his own sin, when the betrayal of a sweet friend is at hand, you know your desperate need for grace. Oh, that grace may abound. David calls for grace amidst adversity. David was asking to be considered in his helpless estate. We are so helpless. We are so poor. Whether we are dealing with tragedy like we are in this congregation, whether we are receiving or, or going through betrayal, whether we are feeling sufferings from sickness, whether we are in the deep, dark valley of despair and doubt, oh, that you would know that Christ holds you fast. More to that in a minute. David then asks that he would be raised up in order that he would repay his enemies. And all of us are like, yeah, I've seen that movie. I love it. When the guy is all deep down and then he comes out and he starts repaying everybody with justice. I love those movies. That's not what's happening here, people. Okay? If you are thinking, yes, finally, I got a Bible verse that helps me understand that I get to repay all those people for all the wrong that they did. That's not your go-to verse here. And in fact, that one doesn't exist in the Bible. But what this verse is clearly communicating is that David is the king, head nods. David is the covenantal king of Israel. And in so, he gets that ability to distribute justice on the evil ones. And so these people who are talking about him, who are planning his destruction, who have betrayed him, these people, he's saying, God, raise me up because they don't care if my name continues and your promise was that I would have an eternal kingdom and that from me, the seed would come to sit on the throne forever. And so he's saying, God, don't let this covenant go away. Be faithful to your promises. Hold me fast. Raise me up from this helpless estate and let me distribute justice to the evil ones. That's his job, people. That's what he was there to do, that I may repay them. So we see that David ends this, this idea of, of just grace upon grace with asking for God's grace to continue in the covenant so that he may distribute God's justice. Now we, we know the end of this psalm. David knew the end of this psalm when he wrote it. And then we get these beautiful verses in 11 through 13. These beautiful verses that I want you to use in your notes as blessed be the Lord. If you're taking notes, this is what this whole section is about. David, who, as the poor person in this psalm, has been upheld and restored, is able to see that the Lord who made a covenant with him still delights in him and that David will be in his presence forever. Now, remember, he's calling for unmerited favor. So it's not that David was just so awesome that he was able to have this unmerited favor. No, it's that God would give it to him. 
that he would dispense this grace onto David so that David would do what he was called to do. And because of that, David is able to say, I know that you have delighted in me and that your promise will never falter. You have set me in your presence forever. Now, I want to make a few notes here. And one is verses 11 through 13 is a doxology. It's an ending to the book of Psalms, book one. And every book of the Psalms, two, three, four, and five, end with a doxology to God. Because what is the point of the Psalms? It's to praise God. And so David going through this adversity, comes to the point where he can praise God because God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to hold us fast. So we end in doxology. But friends, we haven't answered our second question yet. You thought I forgot. I do a lot of the times, but I didn't this time. We haven't answered who is the blessed one? We know who the poor is. We know it's David. And quite frankly, we can see our application in that, right? We are the poor. We are the poor in spirit. We need God. But who is the blessed one? Is it just the one that deals with the poor? Well, sure. And we'll get to that application in a minute for ourselves. But who is the blessed? Notice how the psalm ends, these bookends of blessing. It begins, blessed is the one, and then it ends with, blessed be the Lord. Friends, the blessed one is the Lord. The blessed one be the Lord, the God of Israel. It is only fitting to understand the blessing one, not as just the Lord, but as the blessed Christ. Turn with me to John 13, verse 18. John chapter 13 and in verse 18. I'm going to start in 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. Underline, underline, highlight, whatever you do in your Bible. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives me receives the one I send receives me and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Friends, understand the application of scripture here. What is Jesus doing? He's saying what David said about the guy who betrayed him, lifted his heel, ate bread with him, that guy that David was talking about there, in that psalm, in Psalm 41, that situation is happening now. 
that situation, and I'm not just, guys, I'm not just spiritualizing the scripture. I want you to hear this. This isn't just spiritualizing the scripture. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is making this application. Not Andrew. He says, but this must be fulfilled in me. Jesus is connecting himself to Psalm 41 like he does to so many other psalms. That's the incredible beauty of the psalms, that it keeps pointing us to Christ. We keep seeing Christ in the psalms. We see in Psalm 41 that the fulfillment of the betrayal is Judas betraying Christ. And when we look back through this psalm, we begin to understand that Christ is the blessed one. Christ's incarnation is the ultimate consideration of the poor. When God takes on flesh to help the needy, the helpless, the weak, the broken, the sick, who could never save themselves, blessed is the one who deals wisely with the poor. Does it get any wiser than coming to die for our sins? Christ's incarnation is the ultimate consideration of the poor, which means that the Lord will deliver Christ, that the Lord protects Christ, that the Lord will keep Christ alive, even bringing him back from death, that the Lord would not allow Christ's enemies to triumph over him, that the Lord would sustain him and restore him to full health. Christ had enemies who wished he would die and not rise again from the grave. However, God was delighted in his son and in his perfect integrity to fulfill the law. And God would raise his son up so that Christ would one day repay his enemies for their sins and Christ would be set in the presence of the Father from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. The blessed one is Christ. The poor is David, but we are oh so poor. So let me make a few concluding thoughts of this psalm. As we seek to understand it, David pointing to the blessed one, to the Lord, the God of Israel, who will sustain, protect, and deliver the God of Israel who dispenses grace upon grace, the God of Israel who is faithful to his promises, the God of Israel who sends the Son so that we may have eternal life if we believe upon his name and repent of our sins. Here are a few things I implore you to consider this morning. Number one, Christ will come back to repay his enemies. We saw that in this psalm. He said, raise me up that I may repay them. Friends, Christ has been risen. And if he has been risen, it means that he will come back. The son one day returning to repay those who are his enemies should be an absolutely terrifying thought. If you are not in Christ, not believing in him for the forgiveness of sins, 
and trusting him to be your Lord, then you are his enemy. This morning, take time to realize that you are indeed the poor, the helpless, the powerless, the weak, and the needy. Friend, you cannot save yourself. You need to cry out to the blessed one to forgive you of your sins, to give you grace upon grace, to give you a new heart to follow him, to realize that you need his unfavored merit to save you. I ask you, if you are not in Christ, that this would haunt you this morning. Number two, I want you to go back to the beginning of this psalm. I know you've been hanging in there for a long time, or the beginning of the sermon, when I was helping us understand the parallel between Psalm 1 and Psalm 41. Psalm 1, that we would meditate on the law, that we would plant ourselves deeply in the Lord, that we would love Him with all of our heart, mind, and soul. And then Psalm 41, here's our application. We're going to have two, but here's one of them. Our application is that we must go back and understand how this is the second side of the coin or the other side of the coin. There's not a second side of the coin. The other side of the coin for what Jesus said is the great commandment and the one that is like it. Love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. We see Psalm 41 ending book one with the call to love your neighbor as yourself. This is actually an application for those of us who claim Jesus Christ. And before you cry out that I'm some sort of social justice warrior and I'm only concerned with the poor, I ask you and implore you to go with me to Matthew chapter 25. This is the final judgment in verse 31. This is this beautiful betrayal, not betrayal, this is the beautiful uh, unpacking for us to see what it will look like. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people, one from another as as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. I want you to see the application of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and before you get overwhelmed with all the things you can find online, with, with, with different things to send your money to, and, and, and all the other things that everyone's calling you to, that you must do this or you're not actually considering the poor, I would ask you, look to your left, look to your right, look behind you, and look in front of you. And in these seats, you will see the helpless. You will see the needy. You will see the weak. 
You'll see the sick and you'll see the poor. This is your application. Know one another. Love your neighbor. Your neighbor is everyone in here. And I'm not just saying it has to be here. Go out and do it everywhere. Go out and do it in the city. Go out and do it in City Hall. Go out and do it to the homeless people on the streets. Go and tell them. Go and visit them and, and, and show them and then tell them the gospel. Love your Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, hear the flip side. If you're like, oh, I don't need to do that. I don't need to go see all these people. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, I didn't see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and, and did not minister to you. Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This obedience, this righteousness that comes out of us is after that internal working of our heart. This is something else we talked about in our Puritan study. It's out of this internal happening of our heart that then comes out into an obedience to the word of God. If you have been saved by Christ by his, your, or his unfavored, unfavored, or man, I can't even talk. Whew. In his grace that has been dispensed upon you. If you've been saved by that grace, then out of an overflow of your heart, you will do these things. So hear me this morning as we are concluding Psalm 41. There is actual application to the blessed one and the poor. You're saying, but Andrew, you told us that Christ is the blessed one and that David was the poor. And I would just say, yes and amen. And as we are to imitate our Savior, we go out and we help the poor. The helpless, the needy, the weak, the powerless, the naked, the hungry, all of it. We go and we help. And I'm trying to help you see that there's plenty of that here in this body that needs your help. Secondly, and I can really say as we come to a conclusion, we must remember, friends, we must remember that Christ considers our helpless estate. Christ considers our helpless and needy estate. Friends, Christ is more intimately aware of that betrayal that you have experienced than you would ever imagine. That betrayal you maybe you even encountered this week with friends or family, Christ is more intimately acquainted with that. Christ is aware of the sickness that you have battled. The doctor's visits, the scary uh, prognosis Christ is aware of the sickness that you have battled. Christ is aware of the sudden deaths that you have had to endure. 
Christ is aware, and Christ is not only aware, but Christ considers you. He is the blessed one who considers the poor. He is the one who loves you. He is the one who will hold you fast during the storms, and he will never let you go. Amen, and praise be to God that he considers you, that he delivers you, that Christ protects you, and Christ will sustain and restore you till that day and on that day when he returns. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Oh God, we need you. Oh, we need you. Father, in our sickness, we need you. In our betrayal, we need you. In our every day, we need your grace upon grace. Father, help us. Give us your grace this morning. Help us this morning be reminded of the blessed one who considered David the poor, who fulfilled in the prophecy that David gave by dying on the cross and becoming the righteousness so that we may inherit eternal life. Oh God, would we look to the blessed one to sustain us and deliver us and love us for all of our life. Father, we need you. Forgive us our sins because they are many. God, help restore our souls that we may walk with you face to face. Father, we look forward to the promise of those of us who are in Christ, who for everlasting to everlasting will be in your presence. And we pray this in his blessed name. Amen.